0: Nation Station, Manx Radio. One Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas, so you can fit your dental care into your working day.
1: Fastemai, good afternoon, and welcome to the Conister Rock, where we share music and memories with our special guest. This is a great way of finding out a little bit more about names which often are very, very familiar to us. And if there is someone you would like to hear on the programme, then you can drop us an email, women today at with your suggestion. Today's guest has played at least two key roles here in the Isle of Man, the first a career which spanned over 30 years and saw him involved in some of the most significant events of recent times and the other as a member of Timwald. Dudley Butt, former police detective chief inspector and MLC, welcome to the Conister Rock. Um, Thank
2: you, Beth.
1: As ever you have suggested that it was fairly difficult picking your music choices. We tend to limit you to five. We've allowed you six.
2: Thank you.
1: Um, has music always played an important part in your life? Uh,
2: yes, certainly in the uh, 60s when everything sort of burst into colour from the black and white days we used to endure. And Music was one of the main factors that changed people's lives.
1: And... I mentioned you are a, you were an MLC. We'll come to that a little bit more later. Was that always the plan? Did you always want to get involved in politics here in the island?
2: Yes, I remember as a child listening to the 1959 election on the radio and um, the Tories got in again and I was quite upset. I didn't know why. Um, and I realised I had an interest and then I sort of followed politics from then onwards. And I remember being on the beat in 1966 uh, on the election night again and I was standing outside a house in Hillary Park hiding in their garden looking through the window looking at the results on the television screen um, so I've always had an interest in politics and, and I did plan after I retired from the police to maybe double in it and eventually did get there.
1: Well we will talk more about uh, your careers a little bit later but first of all take us back to where it all began because actually you described yourself as unfortunately English. <laughs>
2: Yes, I'd like to be Manx. I think it's great to have a Manx heritage and say I am a Manx person with Manx blood and the Manx, uh, all the all the stuff that goes with being a, from a culture that is separate to England. Um, my parents actually, and my grandparents, came over here in the late 40s, early 50s to farm and uh, we came with them. I came as a four-year-old, four or five-year-old. So I've been here since I was four or five, but I still am not Manx and... Can't claim that genetic her- heritage, which I'd like to.
1: I'm sure you can't be described as a come-over certainly now, though. But, oh, you know. Um, yeah. I'm guessing then you don't really remember much before you moved over here.
2: I do, yes. I remember the village I grew up in and the, and um, uh, the places we used to live. We used to live on a farm in, in Essex, North Essex. And um, a little village on the coast, very similar in a way to Laxey, except no hills, but a fishing village and a farming village. And then we moved to the Isle of Man and... Moved to Balaric, which was like, to us, it was like living in Switzerland when we first arrived. All the hills, etc., and uh, quite high up in the Baleric, and grew up there in the wild and windy place, which is known as God's Country to us who live there.
1: Um, and you, you say those years were were character building.
2: Yes, we we lived on a farm. Um, the farmhouse didn't have electricity, didn't have water. Um, we didn't get that until I was about twelve or so. So we grew up with candles and lamps. We grew up with a well in the yard. We got the water from a pump in the yard. Uh, we had to hand milk the cows every day. Initially, we didn't even have a tractor, we just had a horse. So we st- my first couple of years, I remember, we used to farm with a horse, plowing with a horse, etc. and then um, as a farm boy, you know, son, you had to do a certain amount of work. So I had to milk cows every evening, along with my mum and dad, and uh, it was just what life was like.
1: How often have you regaled your children with those tales?
2: Pretty well every day. <laughs> <laughs> was uh, there
1: ever any inclination um, from your point of view of carrying on in the farming industry? Or did that sort of hardship really put you off, do you think?
2: It wasn't hardship. It was, it, there were lots of places like that in the Alamo. And then lots of people didn't have a lot of money and they, they got by. It was, it was really um, subsistence farming. Um, when I was at school, I had no idea what I was going to do. I sort of presumed I would become a farmer, but um, it wasn't big enough to sustain extra people. So I didn't go that way.
1: So, you mentioned school there. You went to Laxey Primary School and then Ramsey Grammar. What sort of pupil was little Dudley Butt?
2: Um, I'm not sure really. I do have lots of knowledge in my head. Um, I got into the A form at Ramsey, which was a surprise to me, and um, plodded along in the middle of the road really. It was only after I left I realised that I could have done a lot better. And later on, in other exams after that, I did. You know, I I prospered in the exams after that. I realised. What, a, what an asset my memory was for passing exams, etc. So I didn't make the most of it, but I, I, but I did um, have an education, and a good education, I think, at both Laxey and Ramsey.
1: Uh, let's take a break then for your first piece of music. What have you chosen and why here?
2: Well, I've chosen um, Telstar by The Tornados, which was the first record I bought. And the background to it is really that um, when I grew up at, in Laxey, I was very interested in science fiction and astronomy, I read a book by a man called Sir James Jeans called The Stars and Their Courses. So I, astronomy became a big thing. I used to stand outside in the farm in 1957 and watch the uh, first satellites going over, the Russian satellites, the one with the dog in, myself and my dad were able to spot it and watch it go over. Um, we watched the Aurora Borealis very often in those days. It was quite common in the fift- late 50s. Um, and then when I was 16, I left home, uh, ...a week after my 16th birthday... ...joined the police... ...was living in Diggs... ...and I went away on a course... ...the cadet course to Liverpool... ...to Mother Avenue... ...and I was on that course... ...and they just uh, launched... ...the Sat- Telstar satellite in July of that year... ...I remember seeing the first transmission... ...from Goonhilly Down... ...and it was a big thing on television... ...then the first live pictures from the USA... ...and this record was, was Telstar after that... ...and I bought it in NEMS record store... ...in Liverpool... Uh, while I was on that cadet course and that takes me back to those very early days.
1: Some stargazing memories for you there, Dudley Butt, and uh, a lot going on at the time of that record.
2: Yes, uh, my big memories about that record, I was in Liverpool at, at the time. I been, been living in Dixon Douglas. I had no contact with my home at all. They hadn't got a phone. And you may remember that it was the Cuban Missile Crisis was going on at that, that very time. And we were watching the television in the, um, in the accommodation block in Liverpool. And we all thought the nuclear war was going to happen the next day or the day after and um, a lot of people these days don't realise how all-pervading the fear of nuclear war was in those days and even later on um, we grew up thinking it was almost bound to be a nuclear war we'd have to go and fight or or be destroyed so I always remember that um, the the Cuban Missile Crisis was going on while this was number one and we were all scared stiff
1: (laughs) We're on the Conister Rock with Dudley Butt and we will be back in just a moment
0: one dental clinic sponsors of women today offer convenient appointment times in the heart of douglas so you can fit your dental care into your working day
1: and today we are on the conister rock sharing music and memories with dudley but who we have discovered is the ideal person to have any pub quiz team do you like pub quizzes
2: Yes, I do sometimes, yeah. I bet
1: you are an absolute <laughs> whiz, aren't you, with your, uh, with your memory. But um, that memory served you well in your police training, and I'm, I'm guessing must have been a real asset in your career as a whole.
2: I think so, yes. Um, I'm not sure of my memory any, any better than anybody else's, but uh, I do seem to have accumulated lots of facts and figures that are uh, stuck in my head forever. You can ask me most things and I've, I've got an answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, What, do you remember most, what sort of stands out in your police training? Did you always know once you embarked on that path that it was the
2: one for you? No, when I joined the police, I, I, only, I only joined the police because my mother had told me that um, police were are earn, earning a thousand pound a year, which sounded quite good. And why not apply? So I applied and I became a police cadet. Um, which was quite a rigorous exam in those days. I got in and uh, immediately was told I had to live in digs. Couldn't live in Laxey anymore. it's too far away. And my digs were £3 a week. And then I got my first pay packet, and it was £3, 11 shillings a week. So I went home to my mum the first weekend with 11 shillings and said, it's not exactly £1,000 a year. (laughs) That was what the uh, top-ranking officers were earning £1,000 a year. I was on £240 a year. Um, So I just fell into it, really. I didn't intend to be a policeman, but... It worked out that it was um, a good life, and I've had lots of adventures and enjoyed every moment.
1: So you had some, some days, quite a few of days, on the beat in the 1960s when the Isle of Man, I'm guessing, was a, a much different place.
2: It was. In the summer, it was fantastic. You couldn't walk on the pavements. It was so full of people. In the winter, though, it was deadly. You walked up and down the street for eight hours and nothing to do. No cars in those days, no radios. But in the, in the summer, you look forward to the summer, there were big fights, there was... Um, occasionally riots and um, lots of lots of fun to be had and the, the Isle of Man in those days was such a busy busy place and the Manx people were, were there trying to make people feel happy and it was a you know a good character because the Manx people were we trying to make people enjoy themselves and that was what they were conditioned to do and in the 60s they certainly did that.
1: Tell us about your second track then, what have you chosen here?
2: I've chosen uh, The Rolling Stones, 19th Nervous Breakdown which I think came out in about February of 1966. And I would just come back from my initial police training course as a constable. We do three months away at um, a place called Bruce near Warrington, uh, which in those days was more or less a square bashing exercise, 13 weeks of drill, marching, and then every day in the classroom, do a very intensive course of, uh, of learning. And I came back from that. I went away as a boy, really. And I came back and I felt 10 foot tall. I'd been physically challenged, mentally very challenged. I'd done, done alright, done quite well and I came home feeling ten foot tall. My whole life was changing, I was um, sort of starting to blossom and uh, lengthy nervous breakdown sort of brings back those days.
1: 19th Nervous Breakdown by the Rolling Stones, Dudley Butts' second music choice today. Um, now, Dudley, in your nearly 40-year police career, you, you've dealt with many, many situations, in your words, ranging from the exciting to the tragic. One of the most notable must have been on the evening of August the 2nd, 1973. Do you remember where you were when you heard about the Summerland fire?
2: Uh, yes, I was in the Fort Anne having a meal, actually, with family who, who were on holiday over here. And we'd been to Summerland that afternoon uh, with with their children. And then we were having a a meal in the Fortan, saw the flames getting bigger and bigger. And then Alan Jackson was on Manx Radio, and um, we could hear over the tannoy, it was being broadcast live, Alan Jackson then appealed for blood donors. And uh, so I made my way up to Ballacquail Road, St John Ambulance Place. Couldn't get there, it was so packed. Went home, and then my sister, who was babysitting, Marianne, she said, uh, the police station's been on... You needed to go to work. So I went in. In those days, I was the scenes of crime officer with a lad called Robert Walls, Bobby Walls. And um, we basically did all fingerprints and photographs of all crime scenes and uh, fatal accidents. So we were called into that and um, didn't get home then for nearly three days after that. We just worked right through. Um, very tragic event. One of the worst moments was actually dealing with one of the, one of the families who'd lost his wife and his daughter. That was very very harrowing. I had a, um, a daughter the same age as mine, actually. So that was quite, quite uh, upsetting. But um, the Alaman police force, I think, and the fire service, everybody, we, were, we weren't trained for this sort of thing. We weren't equipped for it. We, we all worked, worked hard and uh, buckled down, and we got it sorted out. And it was um, really a good job done by everybody in the end. They did a good job.
1: And you say the whole nature of policing, really, in the Isle of Man, evolved from that point.
2: It changed, yes. I mean, I think I said to you before, in those days we didn't have a photocopier. We didn't have... Our darkroom was a very old-fashioned one where you had three three trays to develop and fix your prints one, one at a time. We had to get a machine into. We had multiple photographs to produce and um, we had to get 50 inquest files together. And so we got some modern technology, or what was modern for those days, And it made a big difference. Um, Yes, we grew up. And I think standards changed an awful lot after that. In fact, the problem that happened after Summerland, the day we identified who the three boys were who had started the fire, we had a celebration night that night with uh, Lancashire and Sabri who had come over to help. And then the next morning came to work and there was the golden egg murder that happened on the the day after we discovered who had actually set the fire. So then we were straight into our very first murder inquiry, um, the first time for 44 years, so I was down then at the scene of a, a murder the next morning, myself and Bobby Walls. So those all those things happened within about um, 12 days of each other.
1: So how, as as a human being, do you cope with, with those sort of situations, though? Because, I mean, policing generally in the Isle of Man would have been seen to be a fairly relaxed affair up until that point. But when you're involved in, in things which have such a dramatic impact on someone's life, how do you distance yourself from it?
2: Uh, I think because you're busy, because you've, you've got work to do. Um, I mean, I had dealt with bodies and things before. But, you know, as as policemen, I we did we did do that. So we were used to death and some some tragic things, but this was obviously a much bigger scale. And with the first murder, tragic though it was, it was a great experience because we were suddenly learning how to deal with a proper incident of murder, and we, we got the chap concerned. Um, and again, I think a good job was done we were almost like amateurs in those days then suddenly we had become become professional and then we had a murder or what was they become manchester manslaughter, but murder, a murder every year after that for several years so uh, we we suddenly we suddenly grew up
1: another event that you were involved in dealing with uh, was the solway harvester again uh, something that must stick out in your mind
2: yes that was the very end of my career i was in charge of the investigation into that um and the seas are a bit like they are today at the moment actually when you look out the window um that was um a very tragic case but also in a way very re- rewarding our government uh in particular donald galling chief minister there was really supportive in making sure that we contrary to the uk's wishes we got the ship up and we got the crew out of the ship um it, the english government wanted to, wanted to leave it there. And make it a sea grave because it was set a dangerous precedent in terms of cost etc but um our government and chief minister said go ahead we went ahead and we managed to get get the uh the job finished and um we got to know the families quite well i've been over to um witton went to the funerals etc and knew, knew the people there and they are very appreciative of what the isle of man did and it's great to have that link with those people
1: tell us about your third piece of music what have you chosen here
2: Right, but a third one, um, I'd spent some years in Scenes of Crime. Um, sorry, this is before Scenes of Crime. This is 1967, The Beatles, Strawberry Fields Forever. Um, to be honest, anybody of my generation would say the same. I think all six records could be The Beatles, because um, their music was such a new thing in a way in those days. And they developed as they went along. They started off with 2 Minute 20 pop songs, and they gradually progressed and developed and I think Strawberry Fields is pr- probably one of the more complex ones that I suspect John Lennon wrote not Paul McCartney um, and it just brings back to my mind the 67 the hippie era the start of the psychedelic era um, and the and the plus of it is on the B side is Penny Lane which is a brilliant evocation of life in Liverpool in the 60s as Strawberry Fields is also a memory of John Lennon's memories of where he used to live so this uh, sums up the Beatles at their best and also um, what life was like in the 1960s.
1: Strawberry Fields Forever by the Beatles, the third piece of music chosen by a Conister Rock guest, Dudley Button. Dudley, did you say you'd bought a Beatles track uh, before they were even famous?
2: I did when I bought Telstar. I bought it from the the NEMS record shop, and um, there were posters all over for Love Me Do, which was their first single, and I went in the next week and I bought Love Me Do. Um, So I had two records, I had Telstar and Love Me Do, I didn't think much of Love Me Do, to be honest. <laughs> but they grew uh, the, on you, the, the Beatles. The B-side was better, <laughs> which was something when I arrived. This letter. Yeah, P.S. I Love You, that was the B-side. That was better. Um, yeah, I bought it because there was all this, this, these adverts. And I'd also bought a little uh, Nine Guineas uh, tape um, record player in a shop in Liverpool, which I was able to plug into my room in the Mather Avenue, the training course, plug it into the light socket if you remember those days people used to put their irons into the light socket take I don't the it, actually I don't the, yeah. so those are the first two records I bought yes
1: and don't try that at home folks nope. uh, we're on the connoisseur <laughs> with Dudley Butt we'll be back in just a moment the Station Manx Ray.
0: Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today, for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man.
1: We're sharing music and memories with Dudley Butt this afternoon. Uh, Lots of you getting in touch and enjoying the programme. Some unusual songs coming up, I should probably uh, say, at this point. So uh, some unusual choices to look forward to. Um, And one of them, which we'll come to in just a moment, uh, you say, Dudley, is your family song. You have uh, four children, two daughters, two sons. They all went to university and after time, all came back here to yes. the Isle of Man yep. what was it that drew them back do you think
2: well the, my old two oldest people were they were away for 16 years and plus um well Richard came back for a job with Isle of Man newspapers which was good and my daughter came back she had young children and uh, this is a good place to bring up your children I think that's the the main motivation um I think I think most people want to come back eventually don't they and they did which I'm glad to say.
1: There is an instinct there yeah, isn't there. And obviously yeah. you you have grandchildren as you as you mentioned and uh, very close with them as well.
2: Yes, yeah. Um I'd like to see more of them. Grandchildren are much easier than, sh- than children. <laughs> <laughs> um, and much more fun.
1: Tell us about the family song then.
2: Well, it's the song of uh, Richard Catherine and Stephen my three older children. Um I think they saw it on one of the Saturday morning programs. Uh, something like Swap Shop, one of those sort of There There's a video on of this song, which is uh, a classic song, which I'm sure everybody knows, <laughs> <laughs> by somebody called Barnes and & Barnes, and it's called Fish Heads. Fish
0: Heads, Fish Heads, Roly Poly Fish Heads. Fish Heads, Fish Heads, Eat Them Up, Yum! Fish Heads. morning laughing happy fish heads in the evening floating in the soup fish heads fish heads roly-coly fish heads fish heads fish heads heads, eat them up yes ask a fish head
1: That song, Dudley Butt, is going to be in my head all weekend. It's good, isn't it? I hope it's in yours as well. Uh, That is Fish Heads, Fish Heads uh, by Barnes & Barnes. You can Um, take them to
2: the movies and you don't have to pay. (laughs) Mm.
1: Uh, You were elected, as we mentioned uh, at the start of the show, as a member of the Legislative Council in 2005. You'd always had an inkling that you were going to move into into politics. You had a number of responsibilities during that time. Um, How much did you draw on your police experience for some of them? Your children's champion, for example.
2: Um, quite a lot of, in that role I was actually in, in social services in charge of um, children and lots of areas within social services and I found that very useful when I was involved with children in care I went around all the care homes and uh, when I spoke to the children there and to the carers I used to say was this child and why are they here etc and I discovered unfortunately that I knew the families from my police work or I'd locked up their parents, or I'd locked up their grandparents in some cases, and it really emphasised to me how the vicious circle of deprivation and um, things that go wrong just isn't being broken, or certainly wasn't being broken. And uh, people who have a poor upbringing tend to bring their children up not very well either, and that circle's not been broken. So I knew a lot of the families I discovered when I got involved in that work. And I was able to actually, I think speak to social workers about some of the issues and um, we learn from each other.
1: Do you think there's any way of breaking that cycle realistically?
2: There is with early intervention and when people talk about early intervention, they talk about primary school. I think it has to be at the very beginning and you need to put some money in there because there's plenty of evidence that if you uh, intervene early, uh, the money you spend on that is saved down the line with people having less problems later in life. Um, It's a thing we haven't quite... We haven't beaten yet, but there are ways of doing it and I hope that people do finally break that circle.
1: Did your time in politics, you served 10 years as an MLC, did it live up to your expectations? Did you feel you were able to achieve enough in there?
2: Not really. When, when I first went in, I didn't really know what was happening. I was, I was like totally uh, dumbstruck about what was going on. It took a, took a few months to work out what was happening. Um, you then realised that what I found was things move very slowly when our committees set up and inquiries set up, etc. Whereas in the police force, in my CID days, it was a question of shall we go through that blue door first or the green door first? And you go through the green door, usually the right one, do your job, come out, get a court sorted out and everything's done and dusted. Um, you make instant decisions and you take instant actions. In politics, it was so slow moving that um, it was sometimes frustrating. And in the end... I think all i really achieved was, I tried to be a bit of a, a conscience for people. I tried to sort of put forward a, I suppose a socialist viewpoint, along with a couple of others. Um, the only thing I actually say I achieved was the, uh, I helped set up the curbside recycling scheme. Um, and as I said in my final speech in Tim, well, when you trip over that <laughs> uh, green box and red and blue box in your hall, it's down to me. Uh, you mentioned
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, your son, being at Isle of Man newspapers, and he was there during your time in politics? He was, yeah. Uh, did that lead to any favorable reporting in your favor? Do you no,
2: think? it did not. <laughs> <laughs> I got accused a lot by fellow politicians of um, of being uh, um, being discreet with information, which is not true at all. We agreed at the very beginning that we would not talk about politics at all with each other, and we didn't do that, and we, we made that a pact. Um, and in fact I've probably got a lot less coverage than (laughs) other people
1: (laughs) Let's take a break then, this is your penultimate track what is this and why?
2: Um, This is Genesis, now um, I'm afraid my musical tastes have been stuck in the prog rock era Um, uh, Genesis and Pink Floyd and uh, a group called Man is one of my favourites I still play them all and um, I think the beauty of Genesis is once you get to know the stuff you can play every note in your head when you listen to the records. I was going to choose Supper's Ready but that's 22 minutes long. <laughs> um, I've chosen this one as um, Firth of Fifth which is from the Selling England by the Pound album which is a great album. Uh, again this is about 10 minutes long but I think you're going to break into it somewhere. Uh, I just, it just shows that I haven't actually grown up. I'm still stuck in that progressive rock era. I remember I bought the Tales from Topographical Ocean Album by Yes, which I think is fantastic, and I, I listen to that time and time again. And then I heard Rick Wakeman on the television a few years ago saying, "Do you know that was the biggest load of crap we've ever made?" <laughs> <laughs> and he just rubbished his own record. And I thought, "Hang on, this is great. This is. I really love this." But Rick Wakeman himself said it was rubbish. So uh, I'm still stuck on that ear, I'm afraid. So it's fourth of the fourth of fifth by Genesis.
1: Genesis, Firth of Fifth. I didn't want to interrupt Dudley, but he is singing away in the studio here. Um, so much more to talk to you about. We did have a message from somebody saying, for goodness sake, don't let him show you his feet. Uh, I think this is because many of us have seen um, some incredible photographs of what you've put up with during parish walks. How many times have you finished? Five, is it?
2: Just five finishes. Yes. Just five? Yeah. Oh, just I five. more. <laughs> just five. Do you really? Yeah, I hope so, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you're really into race walking generally, aren't you?
2: Um, I, I enter the... Um the 10K Winter Walking League, which has just finished this week. Um, and they're such lovely people, the people that organise the walking. Um, the Isle of Athletics community over here is really nice and the walking people are, are the best of them all, I think. Uh, it's an easy... not easy. It's a sport that anybody can do and they have handicaps, so you, anybody can come along and try it. So I suggest next year when it starts in next October, please come along and have a go.
1: Generally quite sporty, but... Pl- cricket player. Um, also, we need to mention Laxey Football Club.
2: Yes, yes, I have played for Laxi for a long time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, what position? Centre half. Okay, yeah. I'm saying that as if I know exactly yes, what that yeah. means. Uh, Just a big,
2: big s- throw at the back, making, <laughs> knocking people over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he's still hugely involved in that, and uh, you know, really trying to encourage new talent.
2: Yes, like, at Laxi, actually, we've got the best. We we think the best junior setup. We've got about 22 junior teams. Um, more than any other, other club. on a su- In the summer, on a Saturday morning at Laxey, you can see uh, 200, 300 little children playing football. It's great. And I think Laxey, as a result, is a better place because every child in Laxey's got something to, something to do. They can play football, Lax- football for Laxey. At the moment, Laxey aren't doing so well. We've uh, lost lots of our senior players. We're relying on mostly teenagers who are great players, but they're struggling against the top teams. But we, we hope to survive.
1: Something else you're involved in is um, the voluntary work of the Citizens Advice Bureau here. Just um, very briefly tell us what that entails.
2: Yes, I'm just putting a plug in really because um, there are about eight of us who actually volunteer in the Douglas area. It's, um, it's only two or three times a month you go down to Lock Parade Church and give people advice and we're looking for more new recruits. So if anybody's interested in coming down to help out, you don't have to know anything specifically, you just, know, just need to know where to point people to go to get help. So anybody's interested in a very part-time job, no money of course, no no pay, but uh, you meet some interesting people and you do actually help people. Some people have got terrible lives which need sorting out and sometimes you do a bit of good.
1: It sounds to me that it's still very important for you to, to give something back to the community because that's something that your career really has been focused on, both your police career and your political career. Yeah, I
2: suppose sort of, yes. I mean, I fell into being a policeman, that was a. a an but you stayed really, with it, though, for nearly Stayed with years. it, yes, and you do a lot of good. Um, sometimes you do a bit of harm, because when people get arrested and go to prison, that ruins their lives in some ways, but it does help, help other people as well, so, yeah.
1: Something you really dislike are traffic lights, really? Yes, yes. <laughs> you see no need for them?
2: <laughs> no need at all. <laughs> There are plenty of demonstrations where, well, I, I remember Onkin when Onkin traffic lights broke down some, some years ago, all the traffic into Douglas and Onkin suddenly started flowing freely because people just gave way to each other and it works.
1: You have faith that would happen. I know it'll happen. Oh, there should have been a private members bill, surely, when you were in MLC, <laughs> to that effect. I made, I've made speeches in Timbald about this. <laughs> um, one of your other talents, apart from uh, your head being chock full of useless information and facts, your words, not mine, hmm. um, is being a rapid touch typer.
2: Yes, um, it's a reasonable good story. When I joined the police force as a cadet, we had to go for typing lessons. We went to a, a lady called Miss Martin who had a an had a attic room above a shop in, a house in Athol Street. And I think Terry Kringle went to the same person when he learned to touch type. And um, most of the cadets learned to do two-finger typing. I stuck with the touch typing. And as a result, I was very quick. And as a cadet... Um, CID wanted a cadet to replace one who'd left them and they wanted a cadet in CID and they chose me because I was the best typist and that made my career that got me into CID and eventually when I later um, left the beat I was taken into CID spent most of my time in CID finished in CID and I think I wouldn't have even got into the Timber had, had I not been sort of high profile because of that. And I could say touch typing is what's got me where I am today. That's why I'm sitting here now, because I can touch type. Because <laughs> 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 without that, things would have been different. It's incredible, isn't yeah, it? Um, yeah, Dudley, things.
1: but really fascinating. So much more we could talk to you about. I didn't even get onto how you wrote for Norman Wisdom once. I know you um, really enjoy writing songs and sketches for the police as well. But how would you fare being stranded out there on the Conister Rock on your own? Would you be okay?
2: I hadn't thought about that one. I mean, it, it's always been, everybody listens to Desert Island Discs and thinks, what are my records going to be? And I, I'm very privileged, thank you for, for inviting me. Um, I'm not famous, but people do know me, I suppose. How would I manage on Conister Rock? Um, I probably wouldn't survive.
1: <laughs> very much a people person then?
2: Yeah, I, well, I'd, I'd survive without people, but I wouldn't survive practically. I mean, I, I grew up on a farm and I can milk, and I can thin turnips and I can cut hay etc um, but there's nothing there to live on I'm not a fisherman either so <laughs> I think I might perish although I could probably walk it I'm tall yeah. enough I'm tall (laughs) enough at most low tides to walk back to shore. So I think I'll be safe.
1: You'll be okay. Um, Dudley, but thank you so much for joining us today. Um, You'll be able to listen back to this program for the next seven days on demand at manxradio.com. And very shortly, it will be available to download as a podcast as well. But we've come to your sixth and final track. We've let you squeeze this extra one in. Uh, What is it and why?
2: This is Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. Um, I love this song and I listen to it time and time again. And it always seems to have a message, whatever era you're in, there's a message. And now when I listen to it now, I think very much of the the power that America has and that the power that it's not always for the good of the world. Um, it's almost when you think about Donald Trump and what he's doing now, listen to the lyrics of this at the end and you sort of feel the ominous presence of America, which Laurie Anderson was trying to make in, I think it was 1981, She wrote this about the iran contra scandal basically that was the start of it and the uh attempted rescue of hostages in in tehran which went wrong and then when the twin towers happened the uh, 9-11 happened again the song resonates with that again and now i think it resonates with the times we're in now which are not as good as they should be but apart from that it's a great bit of music and it's sufficiently um offbeat for me to enjoy it
1: Dudley but thank you so much for sharing your Conister Rock tracks. Thank
2: you, oh, oh, John
0: dental sponsors of women today for all aspects of today's dental care highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man